Editor's Notes of A Holy Life, The Beauty of Christianity. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Holy Life, The Beauty of Christianity by John Bunyan. The Editor's Advertisement this is the most searching treatise that has ever fallen under our notice. It is an invaluable guide to those sincere Christians who, under a sense of the infinite importance of the salvation of an immortal soul, and of the deceitfulness of their hearts, sigh and cry, O Lord of hosts, that judgest righteously, that triest the reins, most secret thoughts, and the heart. Try my reins and my heart, for it is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways, and according to the fruit of his doings. He, in whose heart the Holy Spirit has raised the solemn inquiry, What must I do to be saved? flies from his own estimate of himself, with distrust and fear, and appeals to an infallible and unerring scrutiny. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Reader, are you desirous of having your hopes of pardon and of heaven weighed in the unerring balances of the sanctuary? while you are yet in a state of probation? Meditate and ponder over this faithful little work. If accompanied by the divine blessing, it will test your faith and practice in the crucible and by the fire of God's word. It is intended to turn your spirit inside out, to lay bare every insidious enemy that may have crept in and lie lurking in the walls of Mansell. It exhibits sin in all its hideous deformity, stripped of its masquerade and disguises, so that it appears what it really is, the great enemy to human happiness. It is calculated to stir up our pure minds to incessant vigilance, lest we should wander upon tempting, but forbidden paths, and be caught by giant despair, to become the object of his cruelty in Doubting Castle. This work was first published in 1684 in a pocket volume, compromising nine sheets, duodecimo, but became so rare as to have escaped the researches of Wilson, Whitefield, and other editors of the collected works of Mr. Bunyan, until about the year 1780, when it was first republished in an edition of his works with notes by Mason and Ryland. The evident object of this treatise was to aid Christian efforts under the divine blessing in stemming the torrent of iniquity, which, like an awful flood, was overspreading this country. The moral and religious restraints which the government under the commonwealth had imposed were dissolved by the ascension of a debauched prince to the throne of England, a prince who was bribed to injure or destroy the best interests of the country by the voluptuous court of France. He had taken refuge there from the storm, 
and had been defiled and corrupted beyond ordinary conception. The king and his court were surrounded by pimps, ponders, courtesans, and flatterers. The example of the court spread throughout the country. Religion became a jest and laughing-stock, and those who were not to be cajoled out of their soul's eternal happiness, whose vital godliness preserved them in the midst of such evil examples and allurements, were persecuted with unrelenting rigor. The virtuous Lord William Russell and the illustrious Sidney fell by the hands of the executioner. John Hampton was fined forty thousand pounds. The hand of God was stretched out. An awful pestilence carried off nearly seventy thousand of the inhabitants of London in the following year. That rich and glorious city, with the cathedral, the churches, public buildings, and warehouses, replenished with merchandise, were reduced to ashes. The Dutch fleet sailed up the Thames, and threatened destruction to our navy, and even to the government, filling the court and country with terror. Still, prolificacy reigned in the court and country. A fearful persecution raged against all who refused to attend the church service. Thousands perished in prison, and multitudes were condemned to expatriate themselves. The timid and irresolute abandoned the faith. Desolation spread over the church of God. At this time, at imminent risk, John Bunyan not only fearlessly preached, but published his faithful advice to sufferers, which was immediately followed by this important work, calling upon every one who named the name of Christ, at all hazards, to depart from iniquity. They were words in season, and were good, like apples of gold in pictures of silver. Proverbs 25.11 The contrast in public manners must have been painfully felt by one who had seen and enjoyed the general appearances, and doubtless many real proofs of piety, which prevailed under the protectorate of Cromwell. He was now called to witness the effects of open and avowed wickedness among governors and nobles, by which the fountains of iniquity were opened up, and a flood of immorality let loose upon all classes, demoralizing the nation and distressing the church. It must have been difficult to form anything like an accurate estimate of the number of those who abandoned their Christian profession. The immoral conduct of one bad man is more conspicuous than the unobtrusive holiness of ninety-nine good men, more especially when a professor becomes profane. Thus Bunyan argues, one black sheep is quickly espied among five hundred white ones, and one mangy one will soon infect many. One also among the saints that is not clean is a blemish to the rest, and as Solomon says, one sinner destroyeth much good. It is more congenial to our fallen nature to notice and be grieved with evil conduct than it is to rejoice over that excellence which may cast the observer into the shade. Besides the jaundiced fear that good works may arise from improper motives, these principles equally applied to the state of society under the Presbyterian government. But when the restoration to the old system took place, so vast a change passed over society, like a pestilence, that sin, through custom, became no sin. 
the superfluity of naughtiness says bunyan is at this day become no sin with many there are a good many professors now in england that have nothing to distinguish them from the worst of men but their praying reading hearing of sermons baptism church fellowship and breaking of bread separate them from but these and everywhere else they are as black as others even in their whole life and conversation it is marvelous to me to see sin so high amidst the swarms of professors that are found in every corner of this land if the conduct of many professors were so vile as there can be no doubt but that it was how gross must have been that of the openly profane it accounts for the wicked wit and raillery of hudibras when so many professors threw off the mask and glorified in their hypocrisy butler shut his eyes to the cruel sufferings of thousands who perished in jails the martyrs to the sincerity of their faith and conduct the falling away was indeed great and bunyan with all earnestness warns his readers that to depart from iniquity is to shun those examples those beastly examples to drunkenness to whoredom to swearing to lying to stealing to sabbath breaking to pride to covetousness to deceit to hypocrisy that in every corner of the country present themselves to men oh the fruits of repentance thick sown by preachers come up but thinly where are they found confession of sin shame for sin amendment of life restitution for cozening cheating defrauding beguiling thy neighbor where shall these fruits of repentance be found repentance is the bitter pill without the sound working of which base and sinful humor rest unstirred unpurged undriven out of the soul i would not be a steer said bunyan but were wearing of gold putting on of apparel dressing up houses decking of children learning of compliments boldness in women lechery in men wanton behavior lascivious words and tempting carriages signs of repentance then i must say the fruits of repentance swarm in our land the tables of god's book are turned upside down love to their doctrine is gone out of the country love is gone and now coveting pinching griping and such things are in fashion now iniquity abounds instead of grace in many that name the name of christ alas alas there is a company of half priests in the world they dare not teach the people the whole counsel of god because they would condemn themselves and their manner of living in the world where is that minister now to be found that dare say to his people walk as you have me for an example or that dare say what you see and hear to be in me do and the god of peace shall be with you such was the general character of the parish priests after the black bartholomew act had driven the pious and godly ministers from the parish churches it is almost a miracle that bunyan escaped persecution for his plain dealing we cannot wonder that under such teachers christians learn to be proud one of another to be covetous to be treacherous and false to be cowardly in god's matters to be remiss and negligent in christian duties one of another a scandal was thus brought upon religion upon this i write with a sigh for never more than now 
There is no place where the professors of religion are that is free from offense and scandal. Iniquity is so entailed to religion, and baseness of life to the naming the name of Christ, that all places are full of vomit and filthiness. Ah, Lord God, this is a lamentation that a sore disease is got into the church of God. It was a period when a more awful plague raged as to morals and religion, than that which, about the same time, had ravaged London with temporal death, the plague of hypocrisy, of naming the name of Christ and still living in sin. Hypocrisies are of that nature, that they spread themselves over the mind as the leprosy does over the body. It gets in the pulpit, in conference, in closets, in communion of saints, in faith, in love, in repentance, in zeal, in humility, in alms, in the prison, and in all duties, and makes the whole a loathsome stink in the nostrils of God. These licentious times in which we live are full of iniquity. They change one bad way for another, hopping as the squirrel from bough to bough, but not willing to forsake the tree, from drunkards to be covetous, and from that to pride and lasciviousness. This is a grand deceit, common and almost a disease, epidemical among professors. The sins of our day are conspicuous and open as Sodom's were. Pride and covetousness, loathing of the gospel, and contemning holiness, have covered the face of the nation. The infection had spread into the households of professors. Bless me, saith the servant. Are those the religious people? Are these the servants of God, where iniquity is made so much of, and is so highly entertained? And now is his heart filled with prejudice against all religion, or else he turns hypocrite, like his master and mistress, wearing as they a cloak of religion to cover all abroad, while all naked and shameful at home. He looked for a house full of virtue, and behold, nothing but spider-webs, fair and plausible abroad, but like the sow in the mire at home. The immoral taint infected the young. Oh, it is horrible to behold how irreverently, how easily, and malapertly, children, yea, professing children at this day, carry it to their parents, snapping and checking, curbing and rebuking of them, as if they had received a dispensation from God to dishonor and disobey parents. This day, a sea and deluge of iniquity has drowned those that have a form of godliness. Now immorality shall with professors be in fashion, be pleaded for, be loved and more esteemed than holiness, even those that have a form of godliness hate the life and power thereof, yea, they despise them that are good. This melancholy picture of vice and prolificacy was drawn by one whose love of truth rendered him incapable of deceit or of exaggeration. It was published at the time, and was unanswered because unanswerable. It was not painted from imagination, but an ascetic but from life by an enlightened observer, not by the poor preaching mechanic, when incarcerated in a jail for his godliness, but when his painful sufferings were past, when his pilgrim, produced by the folly of persecutors, had rendered him famous through Europe, 
when his extraordinary pulpit talents were matured and extensively known, so that thousands crowded to hear him preach, when his labors were sought in London and in the country, when his opportunities of observation had become extended far beyond most of his fellow ministers. The tale is as true as it is full of painful interest. The causes of all this vice are perfectly apparent. Whenever a government abuses its power by interfering with divine worship, by preferring one sect above all others, whether it be Presbyterian, Independent, or Episcopalian, such a requiring the things that are God's to be rendered unto Caesar must be the prolific source of persecution, hypocrisy, and consequent immorality and profaneness. The impure process of immorality, as checked by the rival labors of all the sects of prominent vital godliness. Can we wonder that such a state of society was not long permitted to exist? In three troublous years from the publication of this book, the licentious monarch was swept away by death, not without suspicion of violence, and his besotted popish successor fled to die in exile. An enlightened monarch was placed upon the vacant throne, and persecution was deprived of its tiger claws and teeth by the act of toleration. However interesting to the Christian historian and humbling to human pride, the facts may be which are here disclosed. It was not the author's intention thus to entertain his readers. No, this invaluable tract has an object in view of far greater importance. It is an earnest, affectionate, but pungent appeal to all professors of every age and nation and sect to the end of time. The admonition of the text is to you, my reader, and to me, whether we be rich or poor, ministers or ministered unto. It comes home equally to every heart, from the mightiest potentate, through every grade of society, to the poorest peasant. May the sound ever reverberate in our ears, and be engraven upon our hearts. Let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. The analysis of this book exhibits how solemn a thing it is to name the name of Christ, as the author and finisher of our faith, God manifest in the flesh, to bear the curse for us, and to work out our everlasting salvation. The hosts of heaven rejoice over the penitent sinner ransomed from the pit of wrath. Is it possible for the soul that has escaped eternal burnings, that has experienced the bitterness and exceeding sinfulness of sin, that has felt the misery of transgression, that has been brought up out of that deep and horrible pit, to backslide and plunge again into misery, with his eyes open to see the smoke of their torments ascending up before him? Is it possible that he should heedlessly enter the vortex and be again drawn into wretchedness? Yes, it is, alas, too true. Well, may the Lord, by his prophet, use these striking words. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out broken cisterns that can hold no water. Jeremiah 2, 12 and 13. 
the extreme folly of such conduct would render the fact almost incredible did we not too frequently witness it in others and feel it in our own hearts this volume places these facts plainly before us and affectionately exhorts us to be watchful and diligently to inquire into the causes of such evil and the remedies which ought to be applied it shews us the great varieties that are found in the tempers and qualities of god's children in words calculated to make an indelible impression but in this great house of god there will not only be golden and silver christians but wooden and earthly ones and if any man purge himself from these earthly ones from their companies and vices he shall be a vessel to honor sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared for every good work bunyan earnestly cautions his readers to constant watchfulness for sin is one of the most quick and brisk things that are and jealousy over ourselves lest our hearts should deceive us the young man in the gospel that cried to christ to shew him the way to life had some love to his salvation but it was not a love that was strong as death cruel as the grave and hotter than coals of juniper song of solomon eight six it cost nothing no self-denial no sacrifice such will love as long as mouth and tongue can wag will pray and hear sermons but will not cut off a darling lust such deceive their own souls some are allured but not changed there is some kind of musicalness in the word when well handled and fingered by a skilful preacher it has a momentary influence they hear the words but do them not ezekiel thirty three thirty above all things beware of hypocrisy for when it once enters it spreads over the soul as the leprosy does over the body he is the same man though he has got a new mouth many that shew like saints abroad yet act the part of devils when they are at home wicked professors are practical atheists the dirty life of a professor lays stumbling blocks in the way of the blind a professor that hath not forsaken his iniquity is like one that comes out of the pest-house among the whole with his plaguy sores running upon him this is the man that hath the breath of a dragon he poisons the air round about him this is the man that slays his children his kinsmen his friend and himself they are the devil's most stinking tail with which he casts many a professor into carnal delights with their filthy conversations oh the millstone that god will shortly hang about your necks when the time is come that you must be drowned in the sea and deluge of god's wrath rather than thus rush upon jehovah's fiercest anger tell the world if you will not depart from iniquity that christ and you are parted and that you have left him to be embraced by them to whom iniquity is an abomination thus faithfully and affectionately did bunyan deal with his hearers and readers and he takes an occasion now in his maturer years to confirm the sentiments which he had formerly published in his differences in judgment about water baptism 
no bar to communion. It is strange to see at this day how, notwithstanding, all the threatenings of God, men are wedded to their own opinions beyond what the law of grace and love will admit. Here is a Presbyterian, here an Independent, here a Baptist, so joined each man to his own opinion that they cannot have that communion one with another, as by the testament of the Lord Jesus they are commanded and enjoyed. To help thee in this, keep thine eye much upon thine own base self, be clothed with humility, and prefer thy brother before thyself, and know that Christianity lieth not in small matters, neither before God nor understanding men. I have often said in my heart, what is the reason that some of the brethren should be so shy of holding communion with those every whit as good, if not better than themselves? Is it because they think themselves unworthy of their holy fellowship? No, verily, it is because they exalt themselves. He goes on to declare that the difficulties which sin and Satan place in the way of the Christian pilgrim ought never to be concealed. Salvation is to be worked out with fear and trembling. It is only by divine aid, by dependence upon our Heavenly Father, that it can be accomplished. To depart from iniquity, to the utmost degree of requirement, is a copy too fair for mortal flesh, exactly to imitate while we are in this world. But with good paper, good ink, and a good pen, a skillful and willing man may go far. Mr. Ryland's note on the Christian's trials is, when the love of sin is subdued in the conscience, then peace will flow in like a river. God will be glorified, Christ exalted, and the happy soul, under the teachings and influence of the all-wise, omnipotent spirit, will experience sweet peace and joy in believing. Millions of pilgrims have entered the celestial city, having fought their way to glory, and then, while singing the conqueror's song, all their troubles by the way must have appeared as sufferings but for a moment, which worked out for them an eternal and exceeding weight of glory. And then how blessed the song to him that hath loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and made us kings and priests unto our God. To him be glory and dominion for ever and ever. Amen. End of Editor's Notes Recording by Scarlet, Louisiana